Man, what a privilege it is to see so many people beginning new groups, beginning discipleship relationship in groups. Natalie and Prie and, and uh, Victoria and Luke are starting a new community group out of one that has been started, the Coddles group. And so they're actually multiplying their group, which is exactly what we wanna do at Northwest. So you have a group, you have a community group, and we want you to train up leaders in that community group to actually start a new group. And so now they get to have four people to start with, and they get to go into the city and invite people into their group of four people. Sometimes we get into a group and we have 15, 20 people and it's like, oh, I'm a new person walking into a new group and it's like, you have been here for a long time and you have 20 people in your group and we need to start new groups so that we can invite others to come in in discipleship relationships together with one another. And we're gonna talk about that, but not today. Guess what? We're gonna talk about worship and driving the discipleship process. We finished our series, um, which, which we just ended, which was our vision for 2021, repentance leading to joy, and uh, how the Lord wants us to have hearts that so hold precious the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've heard testimonies of families coming together after this series to share what God has been calling on them to repent, confessing together in their family worship times. And we've seen the Lord working and moving amongst his people. I've seen uh, men and women actually want genuine accountability through my five groups and also our women's Bible studies going on. And we have have seen this um, coming around the word of God together. Um. Some of our church members, I haven't seen in a long time. I see them this morning. We're excited that you're with us this morning. We welcome you back. Many are coming back. Many are getting the vaccine and others, and many are coming back. And we want to celebrate you coming back into the gathering. We know that some of you, it is not safe to come back yet, and we long for the opportunity for you to come back into the fellowship in person. We know that you are online and we love you and we care for you and we cannot wait until you are back with us. It has been a long time, maybe 50 years since this pandemic. No, it's been about a year, right? I feel like it has been a very long time as your pastor. It's been a very uh, difficult road um, We've had this pandemic, we've remodeled the facilities recently, now we have a pastor that's been here two and a half years, that's how long me and Jordan have been with you, that's a long time, but we love you, yeah. But I genuinely love this church, Northwest Baptist. I can't think of being anywhere else in the world. We love this church and we genuinely feel that our church loves us back. Amen? And uh, we're really at a point in our life of the church in which God has tremendously blessed us recently. And we feel like, Lord, where do you want to go Next, and we have to ask this question to ourselves, where do we go from here? And this is where this, ser- this sermon series derives its call from, is 
coming hopefully out of this pandemic, from this remodel, from all of the things that we've witnessed, from being two and a half years in the city with you, where do we go from here? Where does God want his church, Northwest Baptist, to go? And in, in the fall, as part of my doctrine, we uh, gathered 12 leaders together to discuss what it looked like to be a Christ-centered church, like, like the church in Philadelphia in the seven um, letters to the churches in Revelation, the door was open for the spirit of the living God to move in power and might in that church. And what does that church have that we desire or long for? And it looked like a church that loved Christ and lived his mission. And we came up with three ways to live his mission from the Great Commission. You can see those on the wall in the Welcome Center, gospel, life, and mission. You can see that graphic on the board. That's not the one, the other one, but you can see it now. Gospel, life, mission, gospel proclamation, life on life, discipleship, and sent on mission. And we wanted to focus our attention and our structure around these three things. Gospel proclamation from our teachers, our leaders, centering everything upon Christ. What we just did in the worship service, centering our focus upon Jesus in worship as Alan has beautifully proclaimed to you here, the power to save and the grace to live out our daily lives. The gospel itself transforms people. And while we hold precious to this gospel, we share this and proclaim it with others. The second thing is life on life discipleship. And Kyle just talked about it with starting these new groups. It's critical to the growth of believers as they gather in these small groups around the word of God in Christ-centered communities and have Christ-centered teaching. They have care for one another and they are challenged to be sent on mission, thus creating a culture that is important to not only just come and do the worship service, but be in life, in community with one another so that we can grow and learn how to follow Jesus and walk with one another as we follow Jesus together. Then the last way of responding in the Great Commission is sending people on mission. It's a focus for our church. We send you out every week into your home, your school, your workplace as an ambassador for Christ. We also wanna send people all over the world into places and cities that do not know Christ to make his name known. And our culture begins to build a sending culture, which you saw this morning with Priya and Natalie, Anna and David, sending them to begin a new community group with Victoria and Luke. We want to be a people that weep over lostness and find joy in the harvest. So this is how we live his mission, gospel life mission. That's how we live the mission of God. 
But to order to live the mission of God, in order to do these things in which the church wants to do, we have to have a heart for God himself or else we're just doing it out of our own power. We as a church must have a love for Christ and that love must be the driving force for living his mission. Love Christ, live his mission. Making disciples. So how do we love Christ at NWBC? We have five values that derives a heart for Christ that drives the living his mission. Without the heart for a mission, we will fail every time. We can say we live the mission of God, but unless we have a love for Christ himself, we will not completely live his mission. So the next five weeks, where do we go from here? We will go over the five core values in which we cling to, to shape our hearts as, as the church, the body of Christ, as a people that love God. And the first one is worship. And you have the five values, worship and prayer, community, the word of God, and love in action. So what does this look like? How do we do these things at NWBC to protect our hearts, to continue to protect the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace? We begin with worship. It's funny because I began to study these things and the Lord led me to the book of Philippians. So each of these five concepts we're gonna highlight through the book of Philippians And we begin this morning with this concept that worship itself, the worship in knowing God, drives discipleship. It drives the mission of God. A heart for worship actually leads the church to make disciples. So where do we go from here? We go back to a heart to know Christ deeply and intimately and respond to him in giving our life as a sacrifice of praise. And through that worship, we will see a heart for making disciples. Some of you have seen this passage many times in one-on-one with God and your tour with Jerry and Marilyn And it is a heart that beats at Northwest. It is a heart to know God. So let's look at the passage together in Philippians chapter three, verse 10. Where do we go from here? We go back to knowing God. That I may know him. I'm sorry, stand in reading of his word. I got too excited. The passage is too good, people. It's too good. Let's read it together. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own, amen? 
Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What a passage. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage of scripture that encourages our hearts, enlightens our souls, and causes us to run towards Christ. Father, help us to be a people that run towards you because you are worthy of worship. And Father, out of the overflow of our worship, give us a desire to fulfill your commands. Give us a desire to fill your calling to your commission in our hearts that we may do the work of the gospel But Father, give us a heart for you. Not a heart for the work, a heart for you. Let us first and foremost worship our God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It is Super Bowl Sunday. I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I don't live in a, a cave somewhere. It is Super Bowl somewhere, Sunday, and, and most of you will watch the big game. Some of you will gather in community groups. Others, you will gather around your, your television. But one of the most exciting plays in the game of football is what some people would call the pick six. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's okay. I'm going to explain it to you. One team has the ball and they throw the ball and the other team intercepts the ball and they run the opposite way to score a touchdown. And one of the plays of the, this year, um, One of the best plays of this full year is when a defensive back for the Arizona Cardinals intercepts the ball around the other team's goal line. So he's got to go 100 yards. And he begins running and he passes the quarterback and there's nobody left. He's got a full sprint to the end zone and he's running and he is a 4-4-5 guy. That means he's really fast. And he has got nobody in front of him. He is going straight to the end zone. But all of a sudden, DK Metcalf begins running him down. And he flies into the picture from 10 yards away. Nobody, everybody else is kind of jogging and you just see this blur coming at him. And he f- hunts him down and chases him down. It's quite amazing. I want you to watch the play, actually. I don't know if you've ever seen a football play in church before. But look, he's got it. And he's wide open. There's nobody there. But look at 14. He's coming from nowhere. And he tackles him. Before the goal line. Now you can watch this play a hundred times and not see this. Look at him. He's coming from way back. That's what I call chasing somebody down. Okay, that's good. Now you can see from that clip, that is amazing. But in verse 12, Paul says, I press on to make it my own 
because Christ Jesus has made me his own. In some translations of your Bible, it says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. This word, to take hold of or to make my own in the Greek is kata lambano. It means to grasp, to seize, to overtake, to catch. And this is where there is a sense in which This is what Christ does with us. He runs after us to seize us, to catch us. And once he does, the sense is, is now we are running after him. This is the urgency from which Paul speaks about the pressing on towards Christ's likeness. It is the same urgency Paul felt when Christ was chasing after him. Remember Paul, a sinner, a murderer, a hater of the church, and yet Christ is chasing after Paul. Paul thinks that he's going and he's, he's, he's clear and yet God is chasing him. And now he says, the Lord has saved me and now I'm running after Christ. Just with the same fervency in which God has run after me, now I'm running after him. You see, the goal of Christ was not just just chase down this sinner so he could wallow in the mediocrity of his sin, but to give him a new life so that he could run after Jesus, reflecting his glory by running a race in splendor and majesty of the one who has the power to overcome. You know, one thing, uh, I, I watched that clip a lot of times this week, right, when I was preparing for this. But one thing about that clip was that DK Metcalf thought it was worth it to run 100 yards as fast as he could to save three yards before he scored a touchdown. And I got to ask the question to his church. Do you believe Christ is worth it to run a race of sanctification in your life? Do you believe Christ is worth it to grow, to press on towards Christ's likeness? You see, Paul certainly believed that Christ was worthy of worship. Therefore, he lived his life as an example for others to follow. This is where the discipleship, worship leads to discipleship. Look at verse 17. Brothers, join me in imitating. Join in me imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Follow me as I follow Christ. Is that not discipleship? You see, the worship is driving the discipleship. Is he worthy to you? 
then your life will reflect it. Your love for Christ drives the living out for his glory. Now in the context of this book in Philippians, Paul writes this in prison and he receives this gift of money from the church through Epaphroditus. And Paul exhorts the church throughout this letter to let your life be worthy of the manner of the gospel of Christ. In chapter one, verse 27. The central piece, and throughout the book, he, he points us to Christ and Christ's example so that we can follow Christ, so that others can follow us, and that we can add to Christ and send out into the world for the name so that they may know Christ. He encourages the church to have the same mind, heart, and life that he has. One that is centered upon Christ. Paul has just explained in the previous two verses that we come to know God at salvation through faith. We know this. Look at verse eight. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends upon faith. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Yet this initial saving faith was not the end for Paul. And it should not be the end for the church. It should drive us to worship. It should drive us, our salvation should drive us and begin for us a lifelong pursuit of knowing Christ. And the end result being experiencing the future resurrection where we will share in his glory. Look at what he says after he says that in in verses eight and nine. He says in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is our first point this morning, and it's this. Knowing God leads to a gospel life. Knowing Christ leads us to a gospel life. You see, this knowing that Paul talks about in verse 10, that I may know him, that he talks about throughout this section in chapter three, that I may know Christ This knowing that Paul is talking about is more than an academic pursuit. Woe to churches and pastors who make Jesus another book to read or another person in history to study or more facts to know about him. You see this word gnosko in the Greek is an experiential knowledge. It's it's like this. This is not a football analogy, but it's another sports analogy. Sorry, it is Super Bowl Sunday, so I'm gonna give you some sports analogies. But it's like saying, I know Steph Curry. I know his game. I know how he plays. I know how he plays on the basketball court because I watched a highlight of him on YouTube. You don't know him. 
you're playing Steph Curry in one-on-one, you'll experience the quick release of his shot. You'll feel the smoothness of his handle if you don't know what that is. It's just dribbling skills. You'll see the depth in which he can shoot the three-point shot with accuracy. You don't know him. You know about him. You don't know him. This is an intimate knowledge of God. The Hebrew word in the Old Testament is yada. It is an intimate knowledge, even a bond of love. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Shepherd and his sheep. We just got some guinea pigs, and, and I don't know if you know what those are. They're little hamster-like, rap-like, gerbil-like. I'm not sure what they are, but they're, they're something. They're a mix between a bunny and a hamster, I think. It's like a guinea pig, and that's, that's what we got. You know, you do crazy things in quarantine, and we did that. And so um, I got talked into it. I'm not sure how it happened, but it did. And, but these little things know Avery. Right? These little things, they know her now. She like sits with them. She does her homework. She does school, whatever. She like sits with these little guinea pig things. And whenever I come, they like run from me. I walk in the room and, I, and they can hear my voice. They're like, oh man, he's, he's here. We gotta go. We don't know this person. Right? And these little things, they like come up to her. They like, she like holds them. I like touch them. They're like, ah. You know? It's like, and, and the reality is, like, we need to know God. The image is often used in the Old Testament of a husband knowing his wife, the bond of love. It can be used as a child knowing their parents or a parent knowing their child. And this desire to know God is birthed in the salvation of that individual. And this salvation is often talked about in scripture through the image of being born again. Our eyes open to who God is and he, and he, he calls us to himself and then we repent and place our faith upon Christ and then the rest of our life growing in that knowledge of God through the power of the Spirit inside of us, like newborn babies growing. It's the same for Christians. And they grow in the knowledge of God. But it's God actually growing them through his Spirit. The same Spirit that resurrected Jesus from the dead that Paul talks about that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You see that Christ's resurrection was the greatest display of his power because it revealed his absolute power over both physical and spiritual realms. And now that same life-giving power that has saved believers is also sanctifying believers to overcome temptations, trials, to lead a holy life in Christ. 
speaking of trials, that's the next thing Paul mentions, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings. Paul desires not only to know Christ, the power of the resurrection through the Holy Spirit, but also share or fellowship or koinonia in his sufferings, to partner with Christ in suffering. Share in this suffering. But Paul, why would Paul want to do that? Why would the Christian want to do that? Because we love Christ. We want to share in our children's sufferings. We want to share in our wife's sufferings, our husband's sufferings. We want to share in our churches and our members and our community groups sufferings. We want to share in Christ's suffering. 2 Corinthians 12.10 says this, for the sake of Christ, it's because we love Christ. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For the sake of Christ, I want to share in his suffering. Suffering for Christ is often how God actually grows the believer helps him to know God and the power of his resurrection. The suffering servant is the one who chased after you. Isaiah 53, three, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief as the one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our grief. He has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. For certain Christ has shared or partnered or koinonia or fellowshiped in our sin because he bore our sin Should we not respond in love towards God to want to desire to share in his sufferings? And may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. This is where Paul goes. I want to be like Christ in every area of my life. Even suffering to me is not in vain because my life is Christ. Paul tells us in chapter two how Christ died. He says he he wants to be like Christ even in his death. I want to be like him in his death. How did he die? Chapter two, verse six, who though he was in the form of God, he was God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, 
He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This describes the great exchange. The gospel. God himself taking on flesh, humbling himself to be a servant, and not just any servant, but one that would give his life in death, and not just any death, but death in a humiliating way upon the cross for you, church. And Paul says, I want a gospel life. I want to be like Christ, even in his death. To love people that are unworthy of your love. To forgive the unforgivable. To invite the sinner. To give a place of honor to someone who is not deserving it, that is a life that reflects Christ. You see, the pursuit of knowing God leads to a life that sees Christ as worthy. This is why we worship. Worth-ship. He is the one who is worthy. And when we see God for who he is, we desire to share in his sufferings, to be like him in his death. We give our life for Christ, for the sake of Christ. This is the cycle of dying and rising with Christ. This is why we take up our cross and follow Christ. We die to self. We live for Christ by the power of his resurrection. Making disciples. The final goal was to be with Christ in glory at the resurrection. Verse 11, that by any means possible I might attain the resurrection from the dead. He's talking about the future resurrection. The glory to be revealed, 1 Corinthians 15, 51, gives us this picture. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. Paul says, I will chase after Christ as long as I live because I want to see him. I want to be a part of that number. I want to be in the resurrection of God. I love Christ. When it comes down to it, we always talk about the Christian life as this. You pray a prayer, you receive a prayer, you get baptized. Do you love Christ? Do you love Jesus? Do you want to be with Jesus for eternity? Right? That is the heart of a believer and that is the heart that drives someone to worship this God. I love Christ. 
I desire to have the power of the resurrection in Christ that now lives in me. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or I've, I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. The grace of God drives our work of the gospel. The grace of God drives our work of the gospel. It's gonna take me a minute to get here, but hold on. Paul goes at the heart of false teaching at the beginning of verse 12. The false teaching of perfectionism that still remains in some churches or denominations. He says, not that I've already obtained the likeness of Christ or am already perfect. The apostle Paul was most undoubtedly the most committed, dedicated, spiritually mature Christian who ever lived. He confessed gladly that he had failed to reach spiritual perfection 30 years after his conversion. And that was evidence of his maturity. Perfection is always the goal of the Christian life. We want to be like Christ, but never the achievement. That's why we long, as Paul said, to take off the mortal and put on the immortal. That's why we long for the resurrection of the dead. First John says that, First John 1 John 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves in the truth that is not in us. Let me ask you this question. Have you already obtained it? What I mean by it, Christ-likeness. You, do, do you feel sometimes that there's just no, no further way to run for you in the church and in the people of God? You know, I've read through the Bible. I know a lot about the church. I, I understand the Christ. You know, do, do you sometimes feel like you've made it? Paul certainly doesn't feel that way. He doesn't feel like he has obtained it. He has a dissatisfaction for his spiritual condition. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You see, those who have reached spiritual perfection will not need to pursue Christ. You know, Tom Brady, he's playing this weekend. I don't know if you knew that. But he could have said, you know what? I've won one Super Bowl. That's enough. He could have said, you know, I'm 42 years old. I've been to nine Super Bowls. Patriots don't really want me more. But TB12, man, he was hungry. Nobody laughed at that. That's okay. It was a joke. He was hungry. He's 42 years old. He's still in shape. He's still working diligently. He's in his 10th Super Bowl. He's still hungry for another Super Bowl. How much more should we be disciplined to run the race for which Christ has called us to? Even, even you who are in your 80s, you can say, hey, I, I've done it. I'm checking out. Be Tom Brady. Continue. To run the race. God's work 
We must be people who are desperate for Christ. But our desperation needs to come about from the grace of God. Look at the the second part of that passage. But I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus had made me his own. You see, God's work in our life comes about because we are reminded of Christ's pursuit of us. You see, the grace of God, it drives us. It drives our work of the gospel. And when we understand that Christ chased after us and he took hold of us, we want to take hold of him. Therefore, any work of the gospel in our life is a work that flows from the grace of God in his continued pursuit of us. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is our last point this morning, press on toward the goal of Christ's light. And this church, press on. You've been through a lot last year. Your families have been through a lot. The church has been through a lot. Press on. We will encounter even more in the future. Press on toward the goal of Christ-likeness. Paul must have been a fan. He was supposed to be really short, so I don't, I don't know if he was an athlete. He may have been an athlete, but he was definitely a fan, a sports fan. He used athletic analogies in the Christian life all throughout his letters to the churches. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, he says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Run the race to win. Don't run the race to lose. Let go and let God was completely foreign to Paul. He was totally dependent upon the power of God working in his life. First uh, Colossians 1.29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he may powerfully, that he powerfully works within me. Let me read that one more time. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. God is working in you. But guess what? You gotta still press on. You gotta still toil. You gotta struggle with their energy that God gives and the power that he wants to work in and through you in the power of his Holy Spirit. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Press on towards Christ-likeness, church. You see, Paul's goal in life was consistent with God's goal of salvation for him. Sometimes we think that our goal is to go to heaven. 
That's our goal in the Christian life, to go to heaven. Well, that is one thing that we long for. It's not entirely all of the goal. Romans 8, 29, God shares his goal. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. To be conformed to the image of son. So Paul's goal of Christ's likeness is actually God's goal in salvation. God wants to reflect his glory from those he has saved. His church working his spirit through the power of his church. Lifelong pursuit of Christ likeness. He has this image of not looking behind but straining towards what lies the head. As any runner knows, and I don't have a clip for you, but you, you, when you look back, you've seen this multiple times. People look back as they're running and somebody else passes them up, right? It's so great. You gotta look at those clips someday. They risk slowing down when they look back. They lose the focus of what they're doing. Anyway, in that clip with DK Metcalf, the guy does look back, by the way, but I don't think that was gonna stop him. But any person who looks back, so what does that mean? They look back to either their successes or their failures. The successes is like the high school quarterback that wears the letter jacket, right, when he's 35 years old. Look at what I've done. Look what I've done in the church. Look what I've done for Christ. Look at all these accomplishments. Look at all these people that I've helped. Runs the risk of not continuing to pursue Christ's likeness. Same as the person with the failures. They look back and they say, I will never be able to be who Christ wants me to be in my life. Look at what I've done. Look at these things that I cannot overcome, and Jesus says, no. What thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Even though Paul was a new creature with a new heart, a new disposition that strongly desired holiness, was unified with Christ, possessed a renewed mind that had the mind of Christ, had right standing before God, had been justified, had been forgiven, had Christ's righteousness imputed to him. He was indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Paul himself was not perfect. He was still subject to temptation, still possessed an unredeemed flesh and was still a sinner, far from perfection, yet pursuing perfection with all his might. Will you, the church, pursue Christ? Will you call him worthy of that pursuit? Will you worship him with your life? Will you look to the one who has saved you by his grace and run after Christ because he has run after you?
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Worship does drive discipleship. And Father, help us in our pursuit at Northwest to know you and the power of his resurrection. That we may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Father, we thank you for saving us, redeeming us, setting us on a path. Father, help us to run the race. We are weak, yet you are strong. Your power is in us. The Holy Spirit fills us. Father, count us worthy. that our life may reflect the gospel. We long to be with you in eternity. Help us be a church that worships. Help us be a church that yearns to know you intimately and deeply. Give us a heart. Oh God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.